Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 33, Leadership with Scott McCarthy. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. What have you been up to this week, Mike? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, so this week, again, it's just been kind of keeping my head above water with uh, client work, contract work. Um, just have the big project deadline coming up this week, trying to get everything done, uh, really focusing a lot on, again, the task management side of it, project management side of it, a uh, little bit of delegation work here and there. So trying to round myself out into actually becoming a little bit of a leader in in certain aspects, which uh, ties perfectly into this episode uh, that we're going to be recording. Um, so w- w- what about you, Matt? Uh, so this week, a uh, little bit less leadership stuff and more uh, more like a rabbit hole. Uh, went down a rabbit hole of learning service workers. So uh, I don't know. I know nothing about service workers other than the fact that they are able to keep uh, progressive web app elements and data offline and make the things work offline. And so I had to, you know, I started diving into them. And whenever I dive into something that is brand new, I like to like just read a little bit, get my bearings, and then I'll kind of try it out. And I got into one of those situations where it was like, um, service workers are a worker. And then there was like a link to workers. I'm like, oh, okay, what's that? Go here, read about that. And then it's like, sir. And then service workers also like use promises. If you don't know what, if you don't know much about promises, you should go, you should go read that. It's like, okay, click that link, learn about promises. Then that led me to a YouTube channel which I was, you know, just watching. There were like, you know, three, four minute real quick tutorial videos online. And I was just watching these videos. And then there was, they had videos that were like, oh, these are better than promises. And I was like, okay, what's that? So by before I knew it, it was like three in the morning. And I was like, okay, uh, good. So what we've decided today is uh, I'm just going to kind of dive in and just see if I can make this stuff work offline and uh, hope for the best. But I mean, I have a bit of back knowledge now. So uh, we will see how that goes. Uh, in addition to that, I've been also editing a video that uh, Mike put together a couple weeks ago, and I've been actually putting it together, so hopefully that will be on YouTube soon enough. Um, however, in this episode, it's going to be a little different. It's a uh, interview episode, as we've done in the past. So in this episode, we sit down with uh, Scott McCarthy, a leadership specialist and host of the Moving Forward Leadership Podcast. He started developing his leadership skills at the early age of 12 when he signed up for the Royal Canadian Army Cadet Corps which eventually led to him serving in the Canadian Armed Forces. We catered this particular interview towards small businesses and independent entrepreneurs. However, Scott Scott offers a wide range of advice on his website and the, his own podcast. So make sure you check out the link in the show notes, which are going to be some links to his podcast and that type of thing. And without further delay, let's just cut right to the interview. All right, everybody, we have Scott on the line here, but as we always do before we start up the episode, I'm going to go through these segments that we will be covering today. So segment number one is introduce yourself, and that's obviously Scott going to be introducing himself and his backstory. Segment number two is starting out. Segment number three is types of leader. And of course, the recurring segment, web news, which is called difficult situations this week. So let's kick it off. Let's not delay any further with segment number one, introduce yourself. Hey guys, first off, th- uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's much appreciated and an honor to be here. Uh, yeah, I guess a quick Coles Notes version of myself. I grew up in a very rural Newfoundland outport town. So Newfoundland being the eastern part of Canada. Grew up there until I was 18. And uh, literally the day after I graduated high school is the day I joined the Canadian Army. Left home and didn't look back, right? So uh, I've been in since... Uh, 
2001 this is my 18th year of service now. And a long story short, I served in Kandahar, Afghanistan, 2009 to 2010. And what I was doing was a very different mission. I was um, mentoring uh, members of the Afghan National Army. So shoulder to shoulder with them uh, for seven months, came back home to Canada in uh, May 2010 and got posted to Borden, Ontario at our um, logistics training center. So my background in the Army is I'm a, a Army transportation officer. So fast forward, um, you know, a couple more years, and I just got the bug for helping people with leadership because leadership is definitely a core, cornerstone of what I do. Um, when I was, you know, mid-20s, I was leading a platoon of just uh, up to 84 soldiers, and then my most recent uh, leader, core leadership post, I was commanding a squadron of over of around 200, which I just gave up this past July. So that's Cole's notes version of me and my experience. And uh, yeah, awesome. Uh, how you how you liking it? Do you like? Are you still are you still like really active or like what uh, like what what is your goal with it? Are you going to keep going? Are you kind of on your way out? Like how does that really kind of work in that type of career? Uh, between the army or the uh, the podcast and leadership coaching, uh, the army stuff. Yeah, so no, I'm definitely still moving forward in my career in the army. It's definitely my primary uh, primary function, primary goal in life. Uh, I got another 25 years is is the first pension point for us. So when I'm at 18 now, so I got another seven, and then it's time to start re- reevaluating. Right at that point, but. Uh, definitely going to keep pushing forward actually this upcoming uh summer i'm going to be heading more towards your way uh, matt down to toronto for a 10-month uh master's program in defense studies which is basically lining up for my next promotion and then next posting after that so uh going to keep moving forward but at the same time i'm definitely enjoying what i do with moving forward leadership it's it's definitely a uh, a great side hustle for me and something which i hope to transition down the line Awesome, awesome. That's not. I I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that you you were supposed to keep uh, keep the career for so long. It's pretty interesting that you can kind of go for separate trainings and that type of thing. And that, that that's pretty good. What would you would you say that would you say that um, your leadership like uh, like the training and the consulting and the podcast? Would you say that is going to eventually become full time as you reevaluate, or are you kind of thinking of something else? Uh, that would be definitely the goal for sure. At some point, everybody leaves the army, and unfortunately, what too many people do is they don't have a plan after life after the army, right? At 25 years in, I'm going to be 43 years old, still a lot of kick left of me to go at that point. And I think uh, running my own business as a coach, as a consultant, that would give me the most flexibility to, one, support my family, but two, is still contribute and help people out in a meaningful way that I enjoy mostly. So... Yeah, I'm gonna keep keep pushing on on the on the army side of the of the equation, but keeping in mind of the uh, leadership consulting as well. Awesome, cool. Uh, I think we'll move on right now to kind of contrasting into that uh, to segment number two here, which is uh, starting out. So uh, we have a series of questions here for Scott, and we're just going to kind of conversationally go through them. And then, um, like I've already mentioned, our web news is conversational, but it's also going to be uh, leadership themed this this week. So first question here is, do you think that leadership is more of a school learned skill? So like note taking, reading, et cetera, or more of one that you learn by putting it into practice? So I will say that there's definitely elements of both. Uh, there is no teacher like experience. 
but at the same time, if you don't know what to do, you end up, or you don't know what to do, you end up doing what you know. So for people that don't have any leadership experience, then that whole school aspect of it uh, comes into play and becomes very important. So when I was like brand new young platoon commander, mid twenties, I think around 24 or so, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know a whole lot. And uh, now one of my things is I'm actually becoming very critical about the leadership training program within the Canadian forces and not say that we don't develop great leaders or anything like that. Uh, We do for sure, but I think there's definitely room for improvement within the system. And I think it's that aspect of the the school learn skill of it. So it's definitely a bit of both, but people definitely, if you don't have any experience, you should definitely go out and, you know, there's a ton of resources online from podcasts to courses, uh, go to chapters, cold, whatever bookstores nearby, Amazon, if you don't want to actually walk to one and go through the leadership section and have a look. There's so many books and resources out there today that you can definitely start off and start learning and then start applying for sure. I That's interesting that you say that because I think like, I think that's important to hear because a lot of the, a lot of the sort of web entrepreneurs or the new kind of newfangled entrepreneurs, if you will, who are all online always say like, you know, the heck with the school system, just, you know, go at it, just keep, you know, just keep hitting your target, just keep trying things, trying things, trying things. And it's kind of refreshing to hear that say, hey, no, like, you know, let's kind of take a step back. And sure, like you said, learning stuff with experience is obviously very important. However, obviously having like a bit of that bit of those like sort of like professional already like time already like time tested notes from those books and from more of a traditional education is still very important to have as sort of a foundation and then you kind of go from there so it's definitely refreshing to hear that yeah for sure and there and there's a couple different aspects to that what you were saying there so I, i i agree with people in the business sense of you know, go push forward, get your products out there sooner than later and all that mentality, which makes sense from the business standpoint. From a leadership standpoint, you also got to keep in mind, you're talking about people's lives here. And if you don't have any skills in the background, then you can actually have serious detrimental effects on their lives in the end for the people that you're leading. So there, there are definitely some differences between the two. And that's the reason why. And one of the thing with going out and especially reading books on the subject, what people are writing out there is based off of their own experience. So basically what you're getting is a, you know, a couple hundred page book of someone's experience. So you're taking 20 odd years of experience, condensing into a book, consuming that. And now suddenly you've taken this person's experience from them and hopefully learn from what they've written so that you can go ahead and apply it. So it's not fully of sitting down in a classroom and learning about it. There's definitely other ways to do it too, right? Yeah, exactly. And I I think that kind of lends itself to kind of how colleges are doing it nowadays. And and Mike and I went through that where we did, uh, we did like a lot of in-class training, of course, which had hands-on classroom learning, which is a little bit different than field stuff in the form of labs and actually like applying our electronics knowledge and that type of thing. And then, of course, we went into co-ops, which we've mentioned several times on the show, where it's, you know, it's kind of a, a mixture there where you're getting you know, that, that professor's 10, 20 years, whatever it is, experience. Then you're applying it in the classroom so it's more controlled. And then you kind of like let out in the wild and kind of tracked for it and marked for it. So that's, you know, it's, it's super interesting to hear like, that people, because like I, like I said before, it's it's this weird new 
new age of just these people that are just hammering down like, oh, the school system's bad. Do like become an Instagram influencer or whatever is is the newfangled thing, right? It's always some newfangled thing online. And so it's definitely refreshing to hear that traditional stuff is still very relevant today. Um, I think we'll move on to question number two here, which is um, how closely would you relate self-discipline with leadership skills? So should you should you work on your self-discipline before trying to lead others? That's a great question. And uh, basically, I sum it up with, if you can't lead yourself, then who can you lead, right? And not, not to say that we don't all have our challenges. Heck, I got my challenges in some of the goals I want to achieve in my life. Uh, but I definitely still have that self-discipline to make sure I have my stuff squared away. I'm, I'm taking care of myself uh, because if I can't, then I can't help anybody else. And it goes back to that whole um, when you go down the airplane, right? And they go through the whole safety briefings and they tell you in case of um, cabin depressurization to put your mask on first and then help others to put theirs on. Exact same thing. So think of the mask as your self-discipline. Put your self-discipline on first. Take care of yourself to make sure that you're good to go. Learn whatever you can learn. Keep yourself mentally and physically fit. Uh, and as well, be an expert in in your field so that you can turn around and then start managing everybody else and start leading your team. So yeah, self-discipline is definitely a crucial uh, step in becoming a leader. Would, would you say, Scott, that... Uh becoming a leader also in turn helps your own self-discipline because it kind of makes you look at it both ways. Uh, so maybe like before you're a leader, you kind of have a more laissez-faire attitude because you don't have anyone to report to or you don't have anyone reporting to you, um, it, most importantly. But when you become a leader, you have people looking at you to you know lead them to be an example. And that kind of in turn influences your own discipline and your own work, work uh, discipline and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that on multiple fronts. So first off, one of the best ways to learn something is becoming an instructor of it, right? And as a leader, you basically have to be like that. You have to be a coach to your subordinates. You have to be that mentor. You have to be that instructor. So you end up becoming an expert in whatever field you're in. If you're in IT, you end up becoming an IT and web development or app development or whichever field you're specifically in. Uh, the other part of that is it's kind of like, you know, uh, I, I have two young kids, right? So when it was me, it wasn't a big deal. I didn't, I take care of myself. It's, you know, it's nothing. Then my wife came along. Yeah, you know, start worrying about her, but she's also a grown adult who can take care of herself. Now we got two young boys and, it, you know, you're leading them. I'm leading them on taking care of them who can't take care of themselves, who need guidance, who need direction from me. So that's exactly kind of a kind of a parallel there so yeah i would agree with it for sure cool and it's it's definitely it's definitely uh interesting to hear like you know a lot of people when they see you know whatever tv shows out there or whatever you always see the boss always yelling but you know there's that hidden part where you need to be the mentor you need to be that extra person you know yeah we're gonna get it we're gonna get into this uh part a bit later for sure so i won't go dive too deep into that but i always find it funny that people's um ideology of uh, military leadership is that gunnery sergeant hartman from full metal jacket opening scene where he's just walking around the barracks room yelling and screaming at everybody calling them down to the dirt the reality is it's not like that they could be further from the truth truth 
Uh, there are definitely times when that happens. And there are times when it, it's needed to happen. I would say even in, in the military context, out of the military context, there are definitely times when that style has to be a, impl- applied. But it's not definitely not all the time. In fact, what you would notice down the line is if you, the more you rely on that style, the less and less um, dedicated your people are going to be. And what you're going to find is you're going to end up getting a higher turnover rate. Right. It's sort of like that. Um, it's sort of like that philosophy where it's like, you know, building somebody up and encouraging them is better than just straight straight up just nagging them and yelling at them because they're just going to become like, OK, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to do the bare minimum so I don't get yelled at or just get yelled at the minimum amount and then I'll just move on. You know, yeah. they're not encouraged to do better themselves. No. Exactly. That's exactly what's going on there. So you end up just destroying them more and more to the point where they, like you said, either they do the bare minimum to either not get yelled at or not get fired and not really help the company progress, or they end up just looking, taking their time, looking to go somewhere else where they can fit in better. Awesome. Uh, I think we'll move on to the next question here. Um, So when entrepreneurs are first starting out, they're generally alone or with a small group of other company founders. This leaves them this leaves them partially or completely isolated from leading other people, a skill they would need to develop should their company grow and hire employees down the road. What advice would you give to someone looking to up their leadership game before they hire employees? This is actually one of my favorite questions that uh, I get either on a podcast like this or when I'm coaching people. And uh, it, it's so evident with entrepreneurs and for good reason before I get too deep. Um, entrepreneurs have a really hard time letting go when they start hiring other people, right? Mm-hmm. And and it makes sense. You know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're the only person doing your job or one of two doing the job, you're doing everything. You're the CEO, you're the CMO, or you're the CFO, you're you know, CXO, right? Insert insert some kind of letter there. You do it all for your company from from actual product development to the sales to the marketing, everything. And you as the entrepreneur, as the owner of that company, you have a crystal clear idea in your mind, the vision that you have for your company. Then when you come along, you start, you know, getting hiring more employees. Well, they're not going to have that exact same vision as you. And the problem with entrepreneurs is they don't trust very easily, which sometimes is a good thing, but often it's not. So what ends up happening is they they just dive in. They keep doing what they're doing this whole time. Whereas what they should be doing is like, no, I've hired these people to do this job for me. So if you know you outsource or you hire people to go marketing for you, tell them what you want, give them your 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 arcs of what we refer to your arcs of fire or boundaries for it. Tell them uh, this is your vision, and then let them roll with it. So as a, as an entrepreneur out there who's listening to this, who not necessarily has anybody hired yet, but is thinking about hiring or even outsourcing, i.e. getting another company to take on marketing for you, social media for you, whatever, uh, what you want to do is start learning about delegation. Because delegation is what I refer to as a a leadership force multiplier. If you can get delegation down pat, what you're going to end up happening is you're going to, you know, multiplying yourself across the board, empowering those to one, take action to make decisions on your behalf so that you in turn can worry about the strategic level issues within your organization. Not necessarily the nitty gritty details that you've gone ahead and hire all these folks for in the first place. 
So that's my right. That would be my advice for people out there. Start learning about leadership, especially the delegation on how to properly hand off tasks to others, how to get them and, you know, get them to understand and know about your vision for your company, your organization, so that they can go ahead and take the strain off of you. Cause that's what they're there for. Yeah. And that's really good advice, by the way, Scott, because uh, in our industry with web development, we have another aspect to it where we have, even if we're not leading another person, uh, a lot of us need to have like a designer on our team or need to like outsource design aspects of our code and stuff like that. And that what you're saying with like letting someone run with your vision is a very hard and key point for even that process for even a small one-to-one relationship. Um, and I've definitely struggled with it, but recently I've, I've kind of exactly done what you're saying is I you give them your vision and let them do what they do best. Cause they're the professional in this situ- situation. And usually what happens is they, they take my vision and up it to, you know, two or three fold what I could have even imagined. Um, and yeah, sometimes you have to get into the point where you have to kind of like lead them back to your vision, but that's a lot easier done when they've already kind of put their f- best foot forward, uh, rather than, you know, you clamping them into one little aspect of what you think that should be right, uh, where, you know, you might not be the professional in this situation. So yeah, really good call out. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, the de- delegation in this, this question is a full podcast episode for me. <laughs> I can <laughs> I can go into the detail how to do it properly and in both sides of the fence, i.e. with your subordinates or if you're outsourcing, because really it, it's very similar almost to the point of being the same. But what I, I'm going to give a couple of quick tips and then explain, give a great story of how delegation or failure to delegate will destroy your company. Um, so a couple of quick tips is one is your vision, making sure you articulate that to whoever you're delegating to. The second thing is arcs of fire. So what are the boundaries within this task that you're delegating to them? What can they do? What can't they do, right? The third thing is follow up. How often do you follow up? How do you follow up? Make sure you have a set follow-up plan so that you can catch these things like you just mentioned, Mike, you know, these little problems and, and basically fix them before it gets to the point of no no return. So those are three, you know, three very quick tips. And my story is this, I was coaching a business owner, entrepreneur, who's who's grown their business, uh, geez, mid, mid double digits now. And uh, there, he was explaining to me that uh, he was away one day uh, at a conference. And uh, one of the things that I worked on him was, okay, when you're at conferences, when you're at these networking events, make sure you're, you know, don't worry about your phone because you're there. You need to be in person with everybody who's there to build those relations. And if you're stuck on your phone, then uh, you're not going to be building relations. Therefore, you could be missing out on potential clients or different opportunities, et cetera. So he took that advice and he comes to me in a, co- in a coaching call one day, all, all ticked off with me because what happened was while he was at, at this conference, he had his phone off and uh, they had a request for a proposal into a, uh, in for a bid to get a, to get a client, potential client. Well, at that day, the client, the potential client said, hey, we got a small change. We need, you know, amend the request for proposal with these couple of things. Can you get back to us to end, end, of, the day, end of the day today? Because it goes to the board this afternoon, this evening, and then we're gonna, they're going to pick, you know, who they're going to go with. Well, of course, he didn't delegate to anybody to make the call. So what happened, right? You know, you, you missed out on the potential contract. 
So he's all ticked mm-hmm. off of me. And I like, well, you know, walked him through this whole chain of events. I'm like, well, because you didn't delegate. That's the reason why you guys lost, not because you had your phone off. And he's like, well, if what happens if one of my guys did it up and, you know, let's say, for example, they only put it the price at $5,000 when I know we could have got 10. I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? How much do you have right now? Zero. Right. Is 5,000 better than zero? Yeah. Right. It is. Do you think you could have coached your guy after the fact to get him to the point where he would be uh, capable enough to go ahead and make that call to make it 10 grand? He's like, probably. I'm like, exactly. So that's the problem there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delegation seems to be a key, key number one. And I definitely understand that. Uh, that's something that I think I'll struggle with once we do hire uh, our first employee, which could be happening fairly soon. It's, might be another theme of this podcast is, uh, the fact that we are looking to expand and get get some more people or at least more contractors on staff. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and I fully understand the entrepreneur's point of view. It's their baby, right? They, they basically gave birth to this company. But I always say, if you love something, give it a go. I.e., if you love – if your, your ability to take all the decisions, you know, you got to let it go to let the people who are the professionals within their sphere – make those calls so that you can worry about your level stuff. And that's kind of where entrepreneurs have a really hard time transitioning from that in, in the weeds and, you know, down on the dirt, getting their hands dirty to getting up to that more of a, you know, I hate to say it, but white collar level where they're doing more of the leadership, the more of the management aspects of the job, but it's a necessary transition at one point. And what's, and I think what's interesting about, about that, that particular part there is the fact that, I think people are more trusting and certainly we are, we're more trusting of people that are uh, required, but not within our passion. So for example, we will at the end of each year for year end, we'll just hire an accountant and they just deal with our stuff. Right. We don't care. Like I don't personally care about finances that much. So, and neither does Mike. So we just kind of let it go and we look like, okay, that's their, that's their realm. But when someone comes to us and they're a contractor for, let's say a website and that's what we do every day, then we're going to be like, no, 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 it should be blue or like whatever. You know, it's you're, you have a harder time letting go of certain things and easier time letting go of others. And I think that passion level really plays into it. Yeah, for sure. And um, a lot of people, they're like, well, I have a hard time trusting. You have to earn my trust. I'm like, oh, that's the wrong way to look at it, right? You should trust first because you know what? 99% of the people out there in the world want to do a good job. They want to do a good job. They want to put their best foot forward. They're here to either gain experience, have a full-time career, job, whatever. They're not necessarily there to, you know, sink your business, screw you over, whatever. 99% of the people out there are good people. It's unfortunately that most people look at the 1%, right? They're like, oh, I don't trust them because I don't know them. Well, you know what? Trust and you'll be surprised what actually happens. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I think maybe like the distrust even even can possibly be from uh, having like bad customer service in the past and that type of thing. But what what people should be really thinking of, because I mean, if you think about a business yourself, you think of your experience with other businesses. And of course, you're like, oh, that customer service was terrible. I don't want my employees to do that. But you kind of have to like kind of breed that culture of like, you know, let's have good customer service. Let's do this. And then let's like you said, delegate out, you know, here, you know, this is our vision generally, whatever. And you guys do the nitty gritty while I sit back and manage it, but let's keep in the same sort of direction sort of thing. Yep, absolutely. For sure. Oh, we, I can keep going for all night. I don't know if you guys want to or not. But. 
Uh, yeah, so let's let's move on to the next question here before we get hung up here. Um, so uh, a common mentality for new entrepreneurs is just to dive in and figure things out when you get there, which could lead your business into disaster. What's your opinion on this mentality? Should people prepare more before they dive in? So, yeah, we kind of hit on that, right, as we were talking about. So, it, it, again, it goes right back to the conversation we just clued up, uh, uh, delegation. So, if you bring people into your team for a specific reason, uh, I always say know enough to be dangerous, but know that they're the experts, right? So, uh, qu- answers are easy to come by. It's the questions that matter. So, whenever uh, I'm in leading a team and I don't necessarily know everything. For example, my last job, I was a squadron commander of 200 soldiers. That squadron is divided up into three different troops, each with their own responsibilities. One was a transport troop, i.e. trucks moving stuff. Another one was a supply troop uh, with supplies, contracts, and all kinds of different other things. And the third one was a maintenance troop, you know, fixing trucks, vehicles, weaponry, all, all kinds of different things. I have a transport background. I'm not supply. I'm not maintenance. So Whenever these guys came to me with problems, it, it was more about asking the right questions, hearing what they had to say, and then, uh, you know, making the best call at the time with the information I had. So what entrepreneurs need to do, especially when they have a team below them, which they've, you know, hired or contracted, you, you need to have keep a step back, look at the picture holistically, ask the right questions based off the situation and, and then make the decision based off the information you got at the time. Cause what too many people will uh, do is they'll just keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper into the problem. And then you get into that whole scenario of analysis, analysis paralysis, right? And I can tell you that a bad decision on time is better than a good decision too late. Most of the time, because the situation will change uh, in, a, in a business context. Your, your competition will pivot or they'll they'll scoop up the, the uh, contracts underneath you. So you're better off, you know, making decisive decisions on time by getting too deep in. And that's and that's really interesting, too, because it, it really plugs into what um, Mike and I have been doing the past couple of weeks. So just to sort of bring it back to web dev a bit. Um, we're working on, I'm doing a little bit of work on what's called a service worker for one of our apps and to make stuff offline. And just to really briefly sum that up, like I've never done that before. I don't know what I'm doing. And so like, but I'm the one that, that will be implementing it. So I'm, I'm going through and doing the research. And one of the things that I'm finding is it's like, oh, do this. And you know, um, you got to go and find out what a worker is it's like, okay, go, go learn that. Then you don't even get another sentence in. And then it's like, Oh, what's what's this word is? And then you go and you know you look that up. Like you go look up what that thing is, and then you're then you're reading another whole book. So it's almost like you're reading like three full books rather than just the book on the on the last on like the the, the main goal. And so what we have eventually decided now, as of we, we were having a discussion before the show, is that what we're going to do is we're just going to look up the problem and just sort of dive in and get it done. Otherwise, I'm going to be just sitting there reading every concept, every related concept that you know possible just to do this one thing, which I could maybe do not be, you know, the most proficient at it, but at least it would be done. And then I can always, you know, if the project changes or whatever, I can always adjust myself rather than me reading, you know, three manuals on like what's going on. So it's kind of interesting how they, you know, it's kind of playing, it's playing in, even though Mike and I are just, you know, just the two of us, we're not kind of like, we're just kind of leading ourselves, if you will. It's still like those skills still need to, you know, kick in and you should kind of delegate that to your staff. Yeah, for sure. It's awesome. And, you know, if you think of it, of the most common and basic example of, 
people who want to get in shape, for example. I know this may seem a bit off topic of leadership, but just to dive back into what you're talking about, so many ways to achieve something, you know, okay, what diet should I follow? Well, just type diet in Google and see how many different types you get. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, keto, carb cycling, uh, high fat, low carb. Uh, what else is there? There's intermittent fasting now. Yada, yada, yada. Six meals a day, three meals a day, two meals a day. <laughs> Only you don't eat after 8 p.m. <laughs> I, can, I can keep going. <laughs> but the point is you, you, you basically got to, you know, look at the problem analyze it and then an attack and and if you got a group of people that you're leading that's when you use them to, for their strengths whatever their strengths are if you're attacking this and someone you know if you're doing a, an app or website development you know it, there's a guy that's great in the back end all right you know let me know start telling start informing me what we need to do there there's someone who's doing the graphic design work right you know, start telling me and you start pounding them with the questions. There's someone on the sales side. Okay. Start pounding them with the questions. And then you basically form them into, you basically form a team and, and launch at that problem, individual size portions. Yeah. And that, and th- that makes it more, more manageable. Cause like now you're not, cause you'll just have information overload, even on one topic. Like you could, pe- there's, there's full books on most topics and each topic's made up of subtopics and it's just like this rabbit hole of just like you said with the diets, just, it's just way too much. And just, so just dive in, get it, get it done. Because at the end of the day, if you didn't deliver that product, that app or lose the weight or whatever you're doing, that looks a lot worse on you than, you know, not setting the goal or like, or just researching the goal and not even doing it at all, you know? Yep. Yeah. Just, just to, sorry, sorry, Scott, just to add to that is like, Sometimes you will choose the wrong, just make the wrong decision, but just making a decision, going through the process of implementing something or trying something will give you a much better outlook on then making the right decision in the future or like really shortly after you've made a decision. So that's another thing that I kind of try to practice. If I'm stuck on the analysis paralysis side, I will just choose something, go into it, go into actually implementing it or doing whatever I've chosen and make my kind of adjust my decision as I go if I need to. Yeah, for sure. And, there, you know, again, we could have a, another full topic on decision making uh, methodologies and stuff like that in these scenarios. Uh, but what I will say is uh, I love failure. I, I love mm-hmm. failing and I love making mistakes. Why? Because, I, you know, I learned something from them. And that's the most important thing. So when you make that call and, and you end up making the wrong one, well, you know, it may not necessarily be. Uh, too late to fix is the first thing. Too many people think, oh, crap, I made the wrong call. The project's done. No, if, if you keep uh, up to date, keep people up to date, and you catch it early, you can always, you can always pivot. It, it's not a big deal. Maybe you need a little bit more time. Maybe you need a little bit more resources or whatever, but it's still achievable. But what do you learn from it, right? That's the most important thing. And I got that from my dad. My dad used to always say, you know, show me a man who makes many mistakes. I'll show you a smart man. And that, and that's basically what he was saying. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. Uh, and really good kind of send off that topic is, is that, you know, you, you, re- you should be making mistakes, you know, obviously be afraid of making the ultimate mistake of the business failing. But in that know that you need to deliver. So make the small mistakes, don't make the big ones, dive in, get in there, pivot, do all that type of stuff. And hopefully you'll be okay, you know. 
no one knows the future, but that's that's really what you need to do. You just lead it, get it, you know, lead, go toward that direction of the business, get that app done, get the get the the website done, whatever, and just try to do everything you can to get that done. Um, I think what we'll do, oh, unless you had a comment there, sorry if I cut someone off there. Yeah, just to sum all that up, basically it is make the best decision you can at the moment with the, with the information you got. For sure. Uh, I think we'll move because this is this is another related question, but it's kind of on the flip side. So um, how tied up should leaders get in the, into the details? Should staff worry about the details and leaders more uh, focus more on the big picture? So, for example, if a leader just sets a sales goal without having the intricate details of how to reach it. So that's that's a great question. And it's there's definitely two sides of it. Leaders definitely need to worry about the big picture. 100%. That's that's the whole reason for the leader. Wherever you're at in the organization, uh, if you're the owner, you got to worry about the big picture. And, and your staff do need to worry about the details. Now, is that to say that you don't care about the details whatsoever, that you never hear about the details? Not necessarily. Again, you go back to those regular progress briefings on, on a project or whatever, and that's when you can get those detailed uh, back briefs or information. But day to day, definitely you cannot worry about the details because you're just going to get overrun. And what's going to happen is you're going to end up micromanaging. You're going to be doing the job of what you hired people to do. And then I love that at that point, I always go, well, who's doing your job, right? Because someone needs to be worrying about the strategic view of the company organization. And if you're worried about the details day in, day out, then no one is taking care of that strategic vision for the organization. So yeah, it's basically twofold. I would say 90% of the time you need to be worried about the big picture and then 10% of the time have a quick look at the details and ask your questions just to make sure that, and reality is all you're doing is making sure that your people are still in line with the vision that you've got. Yeah. Like, like you were saying before, Scott, it's that uh, knowing how to ask those smart questions. So know enough details to ask those smart questions of the project, but not enough where you would just interject into every single decision that's being made. Exactly. That's what you got people for. Mm-hmm. Free up your time. You, you know, your, your time is valuable. Your time is limited. If you're worried about the font color and font size on a particular you know, section of a web page, no, uh, <laughs> you get, that's what people are there for. Right. And those, and those questions too, I would assume really lend itself to, you know, that if we're taking the the real simple example we had of setting a sales goal without knowing the intricate details, you obviously don't want to take, you know, a hundred thousand dollar a year company, let's say with three employees, and then just suddenly be like, ah, two million, you know, the boss just <laughs> says that, you know, so you, you, you know, you have those numbers, you have enough detail where you're like, okay, let's stretch the goal a bit, but let's not, let's not kill everybody on, on staff, you know? Absolutely. So there, and there's, I can dive into a lot more detail on, on many of these things, uh, aspects here on proper goal setting measures, uh, how to, uh, uh, give your vision to your team, but basically you want to exercise what we refer to as mission command. So let them know what you want achieved, give them the resources to do so, tell them what their constraints and restraints are, i.e. things they can and can't do. And, and then, and then let them have at it and tell them to come back with, to you with options, because you know what? Most of the time your team will have better options than what you can think of. So maybe you do have that sales goal in mind and let's say it is $2 million. Maybe one of the guys has a brilliant idea that's, you know, that's he's he's into the tech, into the tech blogs in, in, in the back channels, learns of a new thing that's about to 
happen and say, hey, if we can get in on this company or this activity, we can meet that sales goal in one one file swoop. You, but if you if you're the one that said, all right, we're gonna we're gonna achieve two million dollars, and we're just basically going to do cold calls and emails, is that really realistic? Mm, I'd say probably not, right? Yeah, and like keeping to the original plan, like if that was your original uh, like plan or that was your your day in day out, you shouldn't expect to change. But you're right, you know, a- asking those questions would reveal like, hey, you know, Jim in that in the office says that we should, you know, we, that he found this Bitcoin thing or something like, you know, when it was brand new, like he found this thing and maybe we should be looking at that or whatever the newest thing is, you know, that could really, really boost things. It could double, quadruple, whatever your business, if it's something that goes viral or whatever. So it's really important to, to not just be blinded by the fact that you're the guy in the office, you know, you really do need to ask those questions. And that really does reinforce that. Absolutely. Um, yep. I think, sorry, <laughs> I think we're going to move on to the uh, next question here, which is uh, many people that are thinking of starting a business are looking to stash some money away from their day jobs so that they can slowly lower their hours to work on their business idea. Given that their day job is a different experience from their would-be business, how would these entrepreneurs transfer any leadership skills they're learning on the daily to their new potential business? That's a great question, Matt, and uh, it's very applicable. Basically, the principles of leadership are, are, are the same across the board. They're, apl- they're applicable across the board. Why? Because there's one common denominator, and that common denominator is people, right? But what you can't do, what too many people try to do is use cookie-cutter solutions. Well, I did it in my last job in this particular scenario, and it worked out fine. So I'm just going to take it over here and apply it over here. Unfortunately, it doesn't work with people. Why? Because the situation is never the same. The person is never exactly the same. The circumstances is never exactly the same. So what you need to do is take your leadership skills that you got from one job, apply it to your next, but in the overlay the next. Okay, I got this situation. I have this experience. How does this experience relate to the new situation and overlay it? And, and then basically start making you know, your decisions from that point. So for us, I change jobs every two years, right? Constantly changing jobs every two years. I go from, from one, one spectrum, you know, for example, I spent four years in Edmonton at various operational units. I left there, can't spent four years at our training center in two different jobs, left there, came to Kingston, Ontario, and was in a high readiness deployable unit for two years. Literally walked across the street into a command pilot of a static, what we refer to as a static unit, i.e. non-deployable unit for two years. I I think you guys get the picture, right? But I keep hauling those leadership experiences and taking them with me to each one of these new jobs. But I always look at it in the context of the job I'm in right now today and using that experience as an overlay and saying, okay, how can I apply it? That's, that's a really good, that's a really good way to outline it because you'll often hear from people who are struggling at something. They'll be like, Oh, but I've been doing this for 30 years and like, I've, you know, I'm just doing what I always done. That That's like a really common line you'll hear from people that are really struggling with, you know, a new business venture. And it's like, yeah, but you know, it, all, all that really people care about, not to be blunt, but all people really care about is the results and your 30 years experience or whatever it is, doesn't really you know, that doesn't help the situation, you know, they should be using that experience 
to more like to, they should morph their experience into their new one, not just not just do the exact same thing because clearly it's not working and results are the only thing that matters. Yeah, there's nothing that's going to sink an organization quicker than the words "it's always been this way." Oh yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one, especially in the big in the big businesses. <laughs> it's always been this way, and, and and I I hear it all the time too, right? Or we've we've tried that before and it didn't work, right? But is it in the same context? Yes or no? No. Okay, then you haven't tried it, right? So <laughs> it really drives me nuts when when I come to organizations and. and and people do that. They're like, oh, we've tried that. It's always been this way. This is what works right. But the world's constantly changing. And I get into three different uh, pillars of leadership. First one, uh, you know, uh, being yourself. The second one being your people. And the third one being your organization. So this being, we're talking about your organization, leading your organization. And if you're not changing, you're dying. Because the world's changing. The world might have changed by the time we get off this podcast. We we won't know. Okay. Right. So if you're not keep if if you're not keeping up with the times, if you're not, you know, pivoting your organization, making those small corrections throughout the days, throughout the years, then you're just going to end up leading it into into the dumpster. So yeah, you, you definitely need to continually tra- transfer those skills, continually looking at it in the context of the situation you're in, but never look for that cookie cutter solution because. It doesn't exist. And if it does, you're basically putting a square peg through a round hole and shaving off the edges. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good way to put it. For sure. Were you gonna say something there, Mike? Nope, nope. Oh, sorry, I thought I heard you were gonna say something. No, um I was just shocked at the uh at the exclamation that the world was gonna change after this conversation. <laughs> you're gonna, gonna check your Twitter. <laughs> it could. It could change, could change. You ever know, right? <laughs> right now. <laughs> Be sure to check the real Donald Trump. You never what never know what happened. <laughs> That's true, actually. Oh, God. So I think we'll move on to the next segment here, um, which is segment number three: types of leader. So this first question in this segment is actually the reason why I, I thought of uh, doing this podcast is because I thought of this question was like, oh, Scott's probably the guy to ask about this. So um, one of the things that I always struggle with. Um, a lot is trying to determine what kind of leader I want to be. I want to maximize my team's output, but at the same time, I don't want to be the quote unquote force to be reckoned with when entering the office. I often flip between being a ruthless money only, only kind of leader and a laid back, you know, sort of tech culture leader or something in between those. Does this kind of decision naturally work itself out as you gain more management experience or is it more dictated uh, by the stage of the company? So, for example, only the richer companies can be afford to be laid back. That is a awesome question, Matt. And I, I wish I had a very simple answer for it, but the fact is I don't. <laughs> so you're going to have to bear with me because I'm going to have to go through a few different things before I sum it up with, you know, basically three to four words. Um, there are 50 million different leadership types out there. But you can basically sum them up in two overarching types. First being transformational. Transformational leaders are those inspirational leaders, the delegate of types, the ones that, you know, you, you see on the TED Talks and all this jazz. And then you have the authoritative, authoritative leaders. Those are the ones that are, like you said, the forces to be reckoned with, the bosses that enter in and everybody suddenly goes quiet, the yelling, screaming types. Now, keep in mind, it, it's, a spe- it's a a spectrum, right? So on the right side, if you can picture it, there's the, the transformational guys. On the left side is the authoritative guys. 
and not say that either one is bad or either one is good. They just are. So on the very far right side, you have the absolute laissez-faire leader, the one that basically doesn't do anything. Well, that's not good either because you need to give vision. You need to give direction. You need to be there for your people. On the far left side, you have basically the, the ultimate uh, um, extreme authoritative type. That's not good either because no matter what you do, they're never going to be happy, right? They're going to be constantly yelling and screaming at you. So just picture that spectrum. Now, when we're talking about different stages of companies, well, let's go into different types of scenarios. Based off a scenario that a company may be in, uh, may drive what type of leadership style gets employed. I.e., when times are good, a company may go ahead and accept the risk of being very laid back, letting their people explore, uh, you know, brainstorm, think of new ideas, et cetera. Very much what's going on at Google right now, right? Right. Google lets their people take, I think, a day or something like this or half a day just to do non-work activities even in hopes to, you know, uh, let them uh, bring something back into the company worthwhile. Well, if you have a company that's currently dying, well, guess what's going to happen? The leadership is going to be very more stringent. They're going to be more, very more strict. So the sum it up is, the, and I love this question because it basically gets one of the number one questions get asked is, what's the best leadership style? And the best leadership style is the one that's most applicable for the situation that you're in at that moment. Because leaders, you, you the best leaders out there are the ones that can go ahead and pick that one that fits the, that scenario perfectly and employ it. Okay. So for myself, I'm more definitely more along the transformational side of things day in, day out. Doesn't mean I don't go into the authoritative side, right? And and that mean and that could be the same way for anybody in business. You may have a time when you know what? You have the world's worst employee. For the past six months, they've been showing up late, not being productive, not doing anything, not getting along with the rest of the teammates, sucking out productivity, sucking out money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Would, not, would we not agree it would be tire, time to fire that person after having coached them for six months? For sure. I would, right? <clears throat> so you can walk in and you fire them. Well, that's extreme authoritative. You're like, sorry, you're done. You're out. Pack your things. Have a nice day. And then you may walk down the hallway five minutes after that, and you may give the, you know the next year's predictions and be all inspirational. Right, right. So, right. So, also, you've gone from extreme authoritative to transformational within a span of five minutes. Because if you stayed, if you only picked the one type of leader, then if you would go back to that that scenario where you want to fire the guy, a transformational leader would be like, okay, so listen. These are all the problems that you have. This is what you need to mitigate it. This is what you need. This is what we're expecting out of you. This is how you need to correct your behavior, blah, 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 blah. But you've just spent six months doing that. <laughs> it's obviously not working. Right, right. right so, so if you stay in that transformational zone, you're never going to get to the sort of zone of chopping off the cancer, which is sucking down, bringing down your organization as a whole. Which, you know what? As a leader, sometimes you have to make that hard decision. And that's going to be one of, one of those hard decisions is when you need to let someone go. It sucks, but it's going to be a hard decision that has to be done. So, as I said, you're going to be going between that spectrum constantly, day in, day out. What I would suggest is, though, the worst leader I ever had was someone who 
who did that, but it was completely ad hoc. You never knew what you're going to get based off the scenario. You know, all suddenly I'd show up with one situation, which I thought, you know, there was a crisis and she'd be like, ah, don't worry about it, Scott. It's not a big deal. We'll take care of it. Blah, blah, blah. All that, you know, inspirational, transformational, all that jazz. And then I'd speak to her on another topic, which would be like, okay, this is not a big deal. However, blah, blah, blah. And she'd start losing her mind. (laughs) And I was like, this doesn't make sense. It's like a lottery. So you want to, you want to be consistent. I, I would say that being in an authoritative zone is probably not where you want to be most of the time. However, sometimes it's required to be in there, but you can't always be in that transformation transformational zone neither. That's a really good that's a really good way to to sum that up because I think we all see, and like we've mentioned this before, even in this episode, we all see the the leader that's always yelling, screaming, and if you watch, like if you think about even the tech leaders, you know, Steve Jobs in any sort of the movies that he's in, at least the ones that I've seen, you know, people depicting him are always yelling, screaming and being extremely author, like being very, uh, I can't remember the word author, authoritative, authoritative, oh, yep. authoritative. Thank you. Uh, authoritative again, like against his employees and like, you know, yelling at them saying what they're doing is garbage and that type of thing. And then that was his sort of driving force. But I mean, at the end of the day, he did get fired or got removed in some way and then had to come back. Certainly, but it was, I would assume, you know, I wasn't there, but it w- I would assume it's because, you know, he didn't have much, you know, wiggle room in that way. And so that that's that's really important to think of is because I, I guarantee a bunch of the people that are super authoritative out there are probably thinking like, oh, well, Steve Jobs did it. But it's like, yeah, but Steve Jobs did it, but he didn't exactly have an easy time. He had a pretty tumultuous past with Apple, which he started. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's... That, that that's an interesting way to put it. He was extremely transformational as well. So he like like uh, Scott is saying, he was a very much along the whole spectrum, uh, and maybe that's like in the end, that's probably what made him such a good company, like a good CEO, because he was able to be that guy that stepped on stage and inspired like a whole company to go out and you know work twelve hours a day and put like their whole life and soul into a company, and then he was also able to be that authoritarian authoritarian kind of. I wouldn't. I, I guess. I guess dictator would be a good. That would be the far extreme. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think, like in the end, he was able to find a balance. Uh, maybe at the beginning he was a little crazy, but at the at the end he found a balance and really, you know, became an exceptional leader. And, and you don't want to. You don't want to play, especially. I don't like playing the yelling, screaming card too much. Mm-hmm. I only use it for specific situations. And I remember one time in my last job, I was livid with my, with my, with my, with the senior leadership that were just below me, absolutely furious. <clears throat> so I walked in one of our weekly meetings and I just had it out with them. I mean, like I, I, lo- I lost it. Right. <laughs> walked out, I walked out of the, out of the conference room, slammed the door behind me and went to my office and my second command came to see me like 10 minutes later. And I told him, I said, no one, I see no one else today. I don't care. <laughs> but the thing was like that got heard across, across my, my, my higher organization, like my sister, my sister squadron, like people over there heard about it. And I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And it's not because, Oh, I wanted people to be like, Holy crap. Major McCarthy lost his crap. No, no. What it, what what it showed to me was one I don't do it often. 
because if you do something often, it, it, it doesn't, it loses it, its influence, its impact. Right. But the second thing is it showed everybody actually that it mattered and I cared to the point that I was willing to lose my crap like that. So you, you gotta be, you gotta be careful on how much you, you employ these, these very style, very styles. And I'd even go say tactics. Um, you, you, you need to be, you need to be one type for the most part, but you need to be able to transfer depending on the scenario. Right. So for me, I'm very delegative as people will hear if they listen to my podcast, listen to me speak. But like I said, I, it's easy for me to transfer over into the authoritative side, come back into the transformational side. Again, it's all situational dependent. One uh, kind of sub question I thought of when you're, when you're mentioning that is how, how important do you think, uh, in terms of leader type is approachability. Like, do you really, do you, if you're, let's say you're the, the top of the company, do you really not want people to be able to approach you? Uh, do you think that approachability is very important to play that mentor role? Like how important do you think that is? Absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial. I will tell you, um, you will not hear, uh, especially if you're in a very large organization, right? In my last one, again, 200, you know, think 200 people, very, uh, you know, slightly wide, very deep, all ranks, anybody from the lowest rank, i.e. private, all the way up to my captains could talk to me and they knew they could talk to me. Now, there are obviously various arcs, i.e. a private couldn't come up and start, you know, uh, mouthing off with their captain. But if there was a problem based off of the work that was going on, uh things that were hindering them from being effective or efficient with their work, they knew that they could, could come up to me and explain it to me. Excuse me. And um, you need to be that because you're not going to get any better information than the people who are at the ground level doing the job on your behalf. On my, my, um, my beginning doing my walk around tour, I ran into one of my civilian employees and introduced to him and he is a maintenance guy, uh, material. So think welding, painting, actually his specialty was painting. Anyway, on my walk around tour and I, I ran into him and got introduced to him for 45 minutes. This guy just went off on me about the work conditions, the problems that they were having, the shortages in staff, equipment, yada, 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 yada. This is a guy that's achieving what I need to be achieved at the ground level. And he's the one that's given me all this core information about the problems that we're having. Right. Right. So guess what I did? You know, took notes, went back and started fixing problems. <laughs> so that approachability is crucial because in the end, your people are the ones that are out there achieving success on your behalf. They're the ones that are doing the sales calls. They're the ones that are working, you know, do, developing the web. They're the ones that are uh, doing the whole app development, back end, front end, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're in a, you know, again, a, a bit of a larger organization where you're more focused on the strategic level stuff, the management level stuff, and not necessarily worried about the day-to-day execution, your people have to be able to approach you to let you know about these issues that you may not be aware of that are going on. That's that's really important. And, you know, I and even though, like you were saying, just like you are saying, the welder or the painter was 
you know, very clearly still completing what you needed done, you know, eventually with all those problems, you know, it could have, it could have, you know, fallen apart and then you wouldn't have been able to catch it, but, you know, you were able to get there, you know, essentially boots on the ground. You eventually, you know, you learn what's going on and then you can slowly start to fix those problems and you're essentially pivoting or moving resources. However, that was solved before everything collapsed, you know, things were still getting done, but they were getting better at the same time. Absolutely. And, and, you, and another little hack for this that this does, it actually gives you a uh, confirmation whether or not your, your vision and information that you're being passed on to your subordinate leaders are actually hitting the ground level when you get it. So what I used to do is once a week get out and walk my walk, what we refer to walk the lines, right? I'll spread out across eight, nine different locations. Uh, so I'd get out and see all the troops that are doing the work on, on the ground level and talk with them. And every now and then I would catch that, hmm, that information wasn't being passed on. So where is the communication breakdown? Because lack of communication is what's going to kill an organization along with, oh, it's always been done this way. It's just that lack of communication has the the potential to do it a hell of a lot quicker. So I would go out there and I would find times when I'm like, why the heck is this not being communicated to the guys at the ground level? This is important for them. This is important for us. And I remember one time, one of the guys actually that that painter's supervisor I was talking to, uh, he told me that uh, that he had put a request out for some training, but it got denied for a lack of funding. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I got told it was denied for a lack of funding. I'm like, I'm the one that controls the money. I didn't say no. So <laughs> they just say someone had a bad day after that, right? So that whole you know transition part from transformational to authoritative that kind of occurred that day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's that it's that whole bit of being approachable because I wouldn't have known that, and then all of a sudden we wouldn't have had that that new capability for the training. Yeah, get the true. So I ended up getting the training in. I got a new capability out of it, but that wouldn't have occurred if I wasn't approachable. If they're like, oh god, here's here's the here's the boss. Everybody run and hide because he's an arsehole to talk to. Well, you know what? You're not going to find out these things. 100%. Yeah, you're gonna you're just gonna scare everyone away. And then when you run out of, you know, whatever materials or you run out of, uh, like will to do your job, or people start quitting, because they're being overworked, you'll be like, what's happening? And it might just be too late at that point. So that's, that's really, it sounds like uh, approachability is like even more critical than I was originally thinking. Absolutely. And the final point that I will make is that uh, you can be as approachable as the day is long. You can have that open door policy. You can be that guy that everybody gravitates to to talk to, but know that there will always be people out there that just will not approach you regardless and won't be open to you, won't talk to you. And that's just the way life is. And you just have to accept that. Uh, not everybody's going to be the Tommy the painter that will yak your ear off for 40 minutes and letting you, giving you the gears when you're the new guy on the ground. Would, would you say that, or would you say then, just based on that, that it would be it's critical for you to, I don't know whether you'd have to take like a note on who talked to you, but like, would you say that you need to talk to everyone? Like, should you be the one doing the engaging if you're the leader or you just kind of like allow someone from the team to call you or whatever? Uh, both for sure. Uh, you you got to trust, you know, in, in this organization, in this scenario, we're talking about something that a leadership organization that's uh, fairly, uh, you know, deep. So what I mean by deep is, very numerous, numerous levels of, of supervision, right? Managers. <clears throat> so you definitely need to 
uh, know who your go-to guys are, right? Tommy yep. was one of them. I, I, in every scenario, I could pick up a phone and I could call or go see someone that was at the ground level that I knew I could trust that would give me the no BS answer of what's going on, on the ground. But at the same time, you can't go ahead and basically uh, go around the backs of those people that are closest to you in the leadership chain either. So it's a very fine balance, delicate balance that you have to keep uh, keep there. But definitely knowing those who you can talk to uh, in those scenarios, especially when there's some kind of crisis ongoing, will help you down the line. And if you're out doing these walk-arounds, talking, uh, you should try to engage everybody because you don't want to give that sense of uh, people who are special and people who are not, right? Because as a leader, everybody should be your top dog guys uh, publicly. And what you're trying to do is build up your team that way. Right. Okay. Um, I think that actually leads really well into um, our next question here, which is related to this one again. Um, how much, if at all, does the job then dictate the type of leader needed? Yeah. So I, 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 we kind of hit on that, right? Yeah. So if if you're in a crisis, you're definitely going to be more in that authoritative style. It doesn't mean you can't apply transformational aspects, but if you're in a crisis mode, you're definitely going to be uh, applying more authoritative because you want to hold tighter control. And it's human nature because the risk is so much higher. Uh you know, if, if you're at the point where the company could be collapsing, believe me, if you're at the top, you're going to be, you're going to be holding all the control. But at the same time, you have to know that it's going to be sucking up your life and time. So you have to be able to try to mitigate that because you still do have people and you still have people who are experts. So a lot of companies out there, um, a lot of them still try to keep in that transformational line during these crisis moments because in the end they find that they come out on better. And a example that I have was from 2008, the financial downturn, I was talking to a uh, business owner up in the Barry area and he didn't let off one single employee during that whole downturn. He didn't, he, oh, wow. and he, yeah, not one. Uh, he found work for them to do, whether that it was uh, keeping the office area clean uh, or actually doing their job, but he managed to keep them on the whole time. And then once the work started, started, uh, started coming back, then, then things got better. So he's definitely stayed in that transformational line, even though it was risk. So it's really hard, uh, to dictate again. It all depends on, uh, depends on the scenario and the situation you're in. But often what people will find is that in crisis crisis times they will go towards that authoritative time uh, style and then when uh when times are good they definitely swing over to the transformational style like the google example i got but if you can try to keep there and insp- inspire people because i've read i've read examples and interacted with other companies where in 2008 there were uh times when people didn't work for well basically work for free because the company said, we will pay you back when, when we start getting the cash flow again. And they stayed on, worked for free, and believed in the vision, believed in the mission. And sure as hell, that's exactly what happened. Another example, uh, one of the oil companies up in, uh, up in Alberta, instead of firing people, they, they slashed everybody's salary by a certain percentage and said, okay, the times are not so good right now. Instead of you know firing 200 people, 
uh, we're actually going to cut people's salary by 20% across the board and leadership included in that way. So you definitely, again, we go way back. Uh, it's, it's all, it's all scenario based, you know, having that overlay, looking at the information you got at the time and making the best decision and then applying the right, right style at the time. Right. And I think that I think that even covers I think we'll end up skipping the last question here um, in this segment because we, we've touched on that several times, um, which will lead us right into and I know we had the, we had a discussion before saying this this could be an episode in itself. So let's see. Let's see how this is going um, or see how this goes. I'm going to hand it off to Mike uh, for the web news this week. All right. Uh, so for the web news this week, uh, difficult situations. So when faced with a difficult situation, having a strong leader is critical to guide the team through the storm. Uh, this is obviously easier said than done. However, because there are so many aspects of a business that a leader has to keep in mind, things like employees, asset management, capital, revenue, expenses, um, stuff like that, we're going to go through an example scenario. So like a kind of, I, w- I wouldn't say it's a worst case scenario, but kind of a really bad scenario. And we'll we'll kind of bounce some stuff off you, Scott. Uh, what would you do in this kind of situation? And obviously, there's going to be a lot of variables to it. So you can be quite general if you want. But I think narrowing down a very specific situation might get some good insight into uh, at least your thought process through through kind of some turmoil. Um, so in this example scenario, let's say there's a struggling app development business. There's one boss uh, and five employees. The business is struggling to find customers and therefore can't afford to pay their staff wages for any more than maybe a couple months. Uh, The company does have some valuable assets, though, in the form of some useful apps that could be put up on sale to raise capital. So and I'm going to ask a few questions here. Uh, How critical is employee loyalty? Should layoffs be step one? Uh, Should assets be sold off before layoffs are even considered? Uh, And then the last question here is if layoffs are inevitable, how do leaders soften the blow or do they just move on? You're, you're, you're tickling a number of aspects for me. First off being leadership and the second, you know, you're tickling my MBA background too. Perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this scenario, it, it, it is highly complex. Uh, there will be no, no, uh, no guaranteed answer. Uh, but I would say first off the, bat uh layoffs should not be step one for sure um because it it costs you 13 times more to hire a new employee than it is to keep a current one and the good if you do vision the good times returning and that you will need those five employees then uh you know your your best bet is try to keep all five now Mm -hmm. the mba side of me will go okay what are all five doing? Are there, are they actually required by us as in a, as a company or could their skill sets be easy, cheaper to be outsourced? So I'm kind of going back on exactly what I just said, <laughs> but in the end, uh, leaders end up having to uh, protect the organizations that they lead. Right. And, and through protecting the organizations that you lead, you're also actually protecting the people that you lead because the organization is there to help them in the end. So I, I gave a presentation to a group of uh, business students once, and I, I did the whole army intro, and I said, you know, what's the bottom line that uh, the, the military does? 
and save lives. And the end of the day, that's what we do. We save lives. And I said, what, what does business does? And people, you know, through, you know, game, make capital, make money, blah, 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 all that stuff. I said, no, you know, a business makes money. They sell products, makes money. Who sell, who makes or sells the product? People, right? What do people get in return for that money? What do people do for, with that money? Well, they buy houses, food, cars, yada, yada, yada. Right. If people don't have a house, food, shelter, et cetera, what happens to them? Well, they die. So effectively a business is saving lives. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 to to swing that into this conversation, a leader has to be protective of the organization because it's providing for the people that it employs. So you, you do need to do that analysis. So you do need to go ahead and go through and what are those five employees doing? Uh, could it be uh, outsourced cheaper to help? You know, if one of them, for example, if one of them saying making 50 grand a year, for example, uh, do I don't know doing front end graphic design, but you know you can outsource that for fifteen thousand dollars a year. Well, it, it ends up becoming it sucks for that one individual, but for the, the remaining four, it actually helps them out. So that that becomes you know those tough calls in leadership. So you have to go through that analysis, right? Um, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, if you can keep. Your people, like I said, it costs you 13 times more to hire someone new than it is to keep the uh, existing person in there, assuming that they're doing a great job. Yeah, totally. And yeah. Right. So, and again, it kind of goes back to that whole, uh, should assets be sold off before layoffs are considered? Uh, you, you, you have to do that analysis. You have to do the analysis. You know, what, what's, what, what are you going to get in return? Uh, how can you, how can you're basically going through all kinds of different anal- uh, decision analysis, what we refer to in the military context as co-analysis. So courses of action, i.e. the different options that are available out, to, out there for you. And you're going through these and analysis, uh, analyzing each and single, every single one of them, what their outcome, potential outcomes are, what their potential impacts are, uh, risk, etc. To essentially make the best decision that you can with the information you got at that time. So does it end up end up being that you sell off some assets? Maybe it is. Does it mean that you end up having to uh, lay a couple and or a couple employees off? Maybe it does. Uh, but end of the day, what you're trying to do is uh, protect the organization so that you save the lives of those that you're employing within it. And unfortunately, uh, for those that are getting laid off uh can can you you know can leaders soften the blow yeah they can absolutely you know and unfortunately some people will take layoffs 100 percent personal it's just the nature of the beast because it's we're talking about people here and we're talking about their livelihood because from their standpoint they're not looking at it as that you're helping to save those other four or three people they're suddenly out looking for a job so how can leaders soften the blow well, there's a few different ways. Uh, they can they can be open and transparent with their people first off. You know, guys, we are in for we're in for a rough haul right now. Uh, we are looking at all the different options. However, there may be some layoffs, there may not be. And, and a lot of people would get really scared with that right away. Because they're like, well, maybe maybe the people the five my five employees are gonna start looking for employment elsewhere and jump ship. Yeah, that that's a risk for sure. Um but maybe you're going to get them to work harder because they're going to start work wanting to prove to you that they don't want to lose their job 
or maybe they're going to start working harder because they want to try to turn this boat around. So uh, you can soften the blow that way, mm-hmm. letting, keeping, keeping, the, keeping it transparent and open. You can soften the blow if you do end up letting someone go, letting them know that, you know what, if we get this, we're keeping your, your info on file and if we get this turned around and we get back to the point where we want to be, you're the first person I call to come back here. And, and if you find something, I fully expect that they will go out looking for something else, obviously, uh, and that's fine. But you will be the first person I give a call to refill this position. You know, even though you're letting someone go, you're still being loyal to that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, keep the humanity in, in in the layoff, right? Yeah. And like all all those are fantastic points. Honestly, I, I think this would be one of my most difficult situations that I would have that I would have gone through because if I would have to consider laying people off. I think that that would be the hardest thing for me. Uh, I think, you know, telling someone being a servant with them is something that, that, that could come naturally, but uh, being the one that tells them they have to, you know, find another job. Uh, and your your suggestions about softening the blow are definitely really good, even for my own arsenal uh, of leadership. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, no, and uh, you don't mind. I got a, a couple more things to add in there. Yeah, uh, I'll throw in a real life example. So, uh, not that I got you know had to lay someone off, but there was a policy changed, and uh, basically, I ended up having a position cut in one of my jobs. And I had to inform the person. I said, "Listen, um, unfortunately, like come certain date, I can't remember exactly the date now." Your, your position is no longer here. They're, they're, we're, we're being forced to abolish it and, you know, you won't have a job anymore. And that sucked, right? Yeah. <laughs> to have to tell the person that. But I said, hey, listen, I am here for you. If you need it, because that, that person worked directly for me. I said, if you need a reference, whatever, I, you, you know, you need some time right now between now and, and your, your last day of service, your last day of work. Uh, to do interviews, to go job hunt a little bit. If there's a job, whatever, just let me know and we will support you. And these are other ways, right? And, and this builds loyalty and credibility because people, other people hear about this and they're like, heck, I want to I want to work for that person because they take care of you. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. And then the final thing I wanted to mention was um, uh, somewhere here. Oh, yeah. Do you just move on? That was part of the question, right? You know, you do you do you do the business and move on? Yeah. So yes and no. Uh, you don't in the terms of you know go ahead try to soften the blow, keep the humanity, but you do just move on after it's over because you don't have the time to sit around, wallow in self pity that you just had to let someone go, because the organization and everybody else who's left in the organization still need you. And I'm going to do a very, probably a harsh comparison here, but it's like when, when I've lost friends in, in, in theater operations, I don't sit there and wallow in self-pity that I've lost my buddy. I'm like, no, what they want me to do is keep going on with our mission. And that's how I best honor this person. So it's very, if you take that type of mentality, now I'm not saying I'm not, for anybody out there, I'm not comparing troops dying in combat to layoffs here. I'm just using uh, as an example of the type of mentality you need to employ. You can't sit around and go wallow in self-pity that you just let someone off because everybody else still needs you. You need to push forward on that mission, i.e. getting the boat turned around, getting your keeping your organization alive, keeping your company alive so that you can hopefully maybe bring that person back at the end of the day. Yeah, no, those... Uh... 
It's, those are those are really good stories. I mean, it, it's a tough one. Like I think one of the, one of the things that you mentioned before, actually, in the in the previous segment, was uh, what, that one company that managed to not lay anyone off and you know strive through the dark times. And I think coming out of that with everyone still being having their jobs would probably make your company significantly stronger. Um, and if you're able to do that, I'm guessing that would be your suggestion, right? Like maybe take, get your, give yourself a pay cut, do whatever you can, you know, hustle, get, get your team together, uh, and get as many ideas out there as possible to, you know, cut costs or, you know, move the business, move the business in a different direction. Those are the things that you should be doing first. And in a worst case scenario, which is kind of what we're talking about, uh, then you consider those options and softening the blow and stuff. So all, all that together, I think, really gives a really good picture uh, of a very general leadership mindset uh, for the, for our listeners and even for ourselves, myself and Matt, uh, going forward. So really appreciate that, Scott. Hey, no worries, man. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here for, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, and then as a final question here, uh, just just to kind of tie everything together, um, what would be the main goal that the leader should push for in this kind of scenario? So, like, like I was saying, is is it really like keeping all the people employed, or is it kind of maximizing the profit at the at the very time, which I guess would be very closely related to keeping everyone employed, obviously? Uh, or is it like that, you know, liquidating all the all their gain capital for themselves and retaining assets? What would be, in your opinion, uh, uh, the ultimate? Yeah, the ultimate goal for me, in my in my mind, it would be for the the business owner, leader of that of that business, this scenario, to try to keep his organization alive. That's ultimately the main goal, right? How you go about achieving that? Again, it, it's so very dependent on, on the scenario uh, that we've kind of hit on. Uh, these are all just different uh, options, right? You know, keeping people employed, maximizing profits, liquidating uh, capital. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say for themselves; I would say for their organization uh, or retaining. These are all different uh, options uh, that the business owner would have on you know on their plate that they would have to analyze and make the decision on. Uh, but ultimately it should be all towards the goal of keeping the business alive, uh, for themselves, well, for their people and themselves. Cool. And th thanks for that. And I just want to say thank you for your service, Scott. Uh, you're an active member, so thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I'll pass it off to Matt to give any sort of other comments on the web news or wrap it up. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of thought of, uh, one piece, um, that I, was really one of the things that kind of hit home to me was the fact that it, it costs um, it costs 13 times. I think you said more yeah. to replace that person. And what I was kind of thinking of is may, it, that that might be a really big factor. I actually it probably is a huge factor in when a big corporation starts to literally come unraveled and they just start dumping like sometimes hundreds or thousands of employees. And then when let's say the, maybe it was an economic downturn that did them in and the economic, you know, downturn, you know, goes back up. So it starts, starts recovering. You kind of see that company never be as relevant um, as alive or as, you know, what, or in the zeitgeist, if you will, again, because they're not, they're not as big, you know, in some cases, sure. Like GM had a big thing and then they they, they recovered. But in most cases, it's like, once you once they kind of drop off the map, you know, it's probably because they would they would need 13 times the revenue to get those people back to then be a part of the, you know, the zeitgeist again and to be as big as they were. 
And so that's a really interesting point. I that 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 kind of really hit home to me because I always kind of thought like, oh, we're we're small business owners, you know, you would think the small business owner would just cut and run. Like, oh man, like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna just like try to save myself. Like, sure, save the business, but like I'm gonna try to like hold it down for you know, like, let's say Mike and I, but like, that's a really good point is I don't want to fire somebody and then have to pay, you know, 13 times more. And and I'm not saying it's all about numbers either. It's I would still have difficulty firing somebody for sure. But I, I would be more of the mentality or I was more of the mentality of just like, I, that was a higher option on the priority list. I think it was, it was more like, maybe number two or three, it's like, okay, we have to get rid of people. And that's just a part of life. But now, you know, that kind of has me double thinking, you know, double taking on that. So that that's a really interesting point. Yeah, it, it is. And um, I had a great podcast interview with with uh, someone on my show regarding all about uh, regarding that subject, employee loyalty. A uh, lady by the name of Heather Younger. Awesome, awesome, awesome show. Uh, awesome guy. We still keep in touch. Anyway, uh, so that 13 times. So you got to keep in mind, that's not just core revenue. That is, if you take in consideration uh, the job posts, the amount of time that you do going through creating everything that's needed to create, uh, to post the job, the interview process, the selection process. And, and if you keep going deeper and deeper, right, as more detailed, uh the requirement gets, uh, the deeper it goes. So it's not pure revenue. A lot of people immediately go, well, it's going to cost you. If they're making $50,000, it's going to cost me, you know, 13 times that, which is uh, about $650,000. Don't think so. Not in pure revenue or pure uh, costs, but it will ultimately, if you, if you look at all the hidden costs and stuff like that, (coughs) sorry guys. Uh, and, and the other, and the other thing is, is that, uh, organizations, uh, what you'll find yeah, is when they'll do these massive layoffs, those companies can come back or you're generally the only ones that are very specific in a centralized area. So basically they're the only one that does that very specific uh, function in their area and people aren't going to move. If you go back to uh, another scenario that I talked about earlier was the, was the, the oil gas company that, you know, slashed everybody's, um, wages by 15 15 20 percent or whatever it was i can't remember off the top of my head now right that's another way it's just options that are on the table and and ultimately i think i've said this many times it's making the best decision with the information you got at the time so they decided to just cut everybody's wages to get the balance balance sheet essentially and hope that the economic return would come and it ended up, and it sounded like it ended up working out pretty well for them. And that's like the ultimate, um, like as we, as you discussed during the question, like that, that's like the ultimate loyalty gain. Like those people are going to go out of their way for that company. If there's like a, a downturn again, you know, they're going to be like, okay, maybe I need to work harder or I'll like wash the floor or something, even if they're a programmer or like whatever it was, you know, that's a really, that's a really interesting way of retaining loyalty. Um, and I actually had one other uh, kind of sub question that I thought of was, so like you were mentioning that you could you could go to you could go to the employees and kind of say like hey you know we may have we may have layoffs and that might have some of them you know jump ship or that might have some of them say like oh maybe we need to work harder how much should a leader in this kind of instance keep things you know kind of covered up or keep things to themselves and the one thing i always think of is like should people just be more transparent and just say like hey we may have layoffs but if you guys can make this app 
a month earlier, it would be really great for us? Like, should they leaders say that? Or should it be more just like, let like the chips fall where they lie? Yeah, one of the worst things in this scenario would be the rumor mill, right? And that's one thing you definitely don't want going on uh, is rumors floating around because that's nothing kills morale. Nothing kills productivity like rumor mill. Oh, oh, especially of potential layoffs and firings. So you definitely want to nick that in the butt. And the only way to nip rumor mills in the butt is being transparent about it. Uh, I would say that there is definitely a need to limit the amount of transparency, i.e. if you knew exactly to what date the company could work to, um, probably wouldn't be the best idea. But if you say, you know, uh, we got about a couple months left uh, right now at our current spending rates, we are looking at all the options on the table. Uh, getting rid of you people are one of the last options. However, we may have to uh, get rid of one or two in the interim. Again, it, we don't want to, but that may be an option. I think that would bode better than saying uh, nothing or saying going to the extreme of saying, all right, everybody, here's, here's the balance sheets. Here's the projections. If we don't, if we don't hustle, we're dead at, you know, 23 August. <laughs> right. Right. That's yeah. That's, that's super, it's, it's super interesting. Cause it's, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to lay everything out on the table, but you really want to, you really want to uh, quash those rumors, if you will. And you really want to like make sure that people aren't because like, I mean, that might just cause everyone to jump ship right away is if there's a big rumor that really spins out of control, you know, you could be like, oh, they're they're planning on getting rid of us next week anyway. You know, if that catches on, then everyone's just gone. Meanwhile, that wasn't the thing, you know. Yeah. And he's like, well, why should I work right now? I'm just going to get fired next week, Uh, (laughs) apparently. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think, and uh, we've, uh, my, my, my dad went, went through something similar where like, you know, he, he's like, uh, he's a millwright and, um, his original company, they ended up like idling the plan he was working at, but there was, there was like a million, a million and one rumors. And he was luckily enough to get out cause he was like ready for retirement at that point anyway. But, um, it was just one of those things where there was a million and one rumors from, you know, Oh, we're not getting, severances to we're not getting this we're not getting that or we are getting this or they're going to double it like it's you know from the positive all the way down to the worst possible yep. thing and and it that did cause you know a lot of tumultuous times where it's like oh what's going to happen you know this was when i was quite a bit younger but even then it's like what, what's going to happen you know so yep yeah and 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 it's not to say that it, it it's how do let me rephrase this rumors are going to happen Especially when 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 the times are bad, so you want to get ahead of them and and squash them as quick as possible. And even when times are good, rumors are still going to float around. Like I I, I used to always, it'd be amazed when I'd be out on my walks and be like, "Oh, I heard this is going on." Like, really? Where did you hear that from? Because I can tell you, you know, that's not true whatsoever. Right. Right. So. <laughs> Rumors are are natural, especially as a organization gets larger and larger, or when when times get tumultuous, like you know uh, where you're potentially closing up shop or layoffs. So you want to get ahead, you want to squash them. You basically want to give them as much information that to make them dangerous, kind of kind of kind of like I suggested, just to be transparent and and give people the confidence that you're not you're, you 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 are keeping tabs on the situation and you are working towards the goal of. Of, of fixing it right because that's what people want they want a sense of security when people lose that sense of security they'll be they're gonna be rats from a sinking ship 
hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's the, that's probably the worst thing you, worst thing uh, that could probably happen, especially when you need to be laser focused on uh, actually trying to keep that ship afloat. So, yep. And actually if <laughs> one last bit. So if, if we go way back to leadership types and, and stuff like this, if you're in an authoritative zone all the time, people aren't going to give two craps. Like, well, you never, you never cared about me. You never cared about uh, anything I did anyway. So you don't want, I don't care. Times are bad. I'm going to either milk this as long as I can. Meanwhile, I'm going to look for another job. But if you're an inspirational, transformational leader that cares about their people, that inspires them daily, they're much more likely to stick through the hard times, much more likely to work harder for you and to believe in the vision of the organization, the company, and go to bat and try to fix the problem that's causing you this turmoil. Awesome. That's really great advice. Um, and unless, unless anyone else has any, uh, anything else to say, I think we're going to start wrapping it up here. I just wanted to also say, uh, just as Mike said, thank you very much for your service, Scott. Um, that's uh, really appreciated. And I'm sure on behalf of uh, all Canadians, that's really appreciated. And so thank you very much for that. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, but before we run the typical conclusion, I'd like to invite Scott to uh, take the floor with anything he'd like to talk about, anything that's going on with his podcast or otherwise. Yeah, for sure. You, if uh, you know if this is interest to you, listeners out there, uh, you can find me at movingforleadership.com. Uh, that's where my podcast show notes are hosted. At the bottom of the page, you'll find all my social media channels. Uh, if you really want to learn more, if you really want to get engaged with leadership with myself, as well as uh, most of my podcast guests, you can join them in my free Moving uh, moving for Leadership Mastermind, and that's a Facebook group. If you just go to movingforleadership.com forward slash mastermind, it's a redirect link that's going to take you uh, to there. Just a couple quick questions, and I'll let you in. Uh, Matt, Mike, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, as a sense of appreciation, just a free gift, a couple of free gifts for your you and your audience. If you go to movingforleadership.com forward slash download, you're going to get uh, two copy or two chapters, uh, free chapters of my ebook, The Nine Foundations of Leadership. Uh, basically, that's going to set you up for success uh, down the road. And as well, if you shoot me an email, Scott at movingforleadership.com, I will uh, I'll set up a 15-minute uh, coaching call with you. You can shoot me any questions that you have like we've discussed today. And I, I promise no pitches at the end. It's just uh, my way of giving back and helping out. So we'll chat. And then, uh, you know, if you really like what I have to say and find it helpful, then you shoot me another email. We can discuss uh, more in-depth coaching for you. Awesome. Thank you very much for that, Scott. And thank you very much for joining us. And uh, to the listener, thank you for listening. And make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at HTML All The Things, which is on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on Twitter via at HTML Everything. We are on Medium and GitHub. And remember that we are also on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. You can find these links as well as all the links that Scott just said and all that information in these show notes. If you want to see it in a written form, feel free to leave a comment or a review uh, on the platform that you were listening to this on. And we are signing off. <laughs>